Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, everybody, welcome to the pod, and things are just a little bit different this week. Josh McQuistian, our own, is out on the road, going all throughout Oklahoma, seeing the uh, top talent in the state and looking maybe for some new faces that might impress. So instead of our usual studio show, we've put together something a little bit different. I had a chance to catch up with one of my favorite players to interview when he was at OU. That's former Sooners defensive back. Zach Sanchez. Sanchez is currently working with his own trucking and logistics business back home in Texas, but he's also prepping to head back to the CFL this season. So he's still in the game as a football player, and he's also an often outspoken voice on social media about uh, some of the issues going on with sports and race. And so Zach and I sat down and had a conversation recently where we looked back on that spring of 2015, and that was the spring of the SAE uh, racist chant incident on campus, the uh, team rallied around each other, decided to stay off the practice field and fight for social change. And that was a very turbulent time. So the current climate, something Sanchez is familiar with. We talked about what the team went through then and what they'll be going through now and his faith that Lincoln Riley and even Ty Darlington, who went through that with him, uh, would help uh, how they would help along the way. Uh, so they'll be able, in his words, to lead this program through uh, through this pretty turbulent time for young black men all across the country. Now, it's not an interview that's full of political rhetoric. It's just Sanchez talking about his experience as a young black athlete in this country. So his story and his viewpoint are something that I think everyone could benefit from hearing. And uh, beyond that, we did hit on a couple of football topics from his days at OU, including that preseason battle between Trevor Knight and Blake Bell when it was time to move on from the Landry Jones era. And we also talked about that 2013 season. It was actually one of the best of the Bob Stoops era in terms of big wins at Notre Dame and then Alabama, of course, in the Sugar Bowl to end the season. So uh, we also got clarification on one of the most controversial moments from a bowl game during the Stoops era. Uh, what really happened between OU and Clemson and the bus incident? before those two teams played in the college football playoff that year. Uh, our conversation with Sanchez will be followed up by our weekly recruiting talk between Bob Prisbillo and Josh McQuistian. Uh, so enjoy this version of the pod, as we'll be back to our regular format soon. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Zach Sanchez, followed up by your recruiting report with Bob and Josh. And I was wondering if you could kind of take me back to, if you, you kind of remember the kind of how and when of when you first saw that SAE video? Like uh, where you yeah, were even? It was, it was like a Sunday for us, and we were just, I think we were all just, I was just me and Chat lived together at the time. Okay. Um, so it was just a Sunday, and I guess the video had, it may have gone out that night, the night before, and I guess that Sunday when we had woke up, we had seen it. Yeah, because it was like a uh, Saturday night just, function or something they were yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. And it was just kind of like, I mean, it, it like it's it's. I wouldn't say I was surprised just because I've been I've I've you know I'd gone in that house like my freshman year mm -hmm. and knew off rip like I, I I walked in that house two times, 
And within like 10 to 15 minutes of both times, I just knew like I got to get out of here before I get violent with one of these dudes. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like surprising to me. It was just like okay, now you dumbasses actually put it on film to where like people know who you truly are. Like we the guy, some of the football guys that have been around them and, and gone in that frat house have kind of known the culture of, of how they are, and you know they they try to. Um, get under your skin at times, but, you know, when when you're there face-to-face, it's a whole different story. So for them to just out themselves the way that they did, I, I was just like, I don't know how stupid you can be. Um, but it wasn't, like, necessarily just rage or anything like that in the moment. It was just like, wow, you dumbasses finally just added yourself, like, yeah, to the world. Like, because, you know, it blew up on a national scale. And, you know, me, I just remember having a conversation. I think me, me tapping strike, and D. Brooks, we immediately met up, probably like a couple hours later, because, um, you know, Strike is, Strike is a real passionate dude. I remember about, his about uh, snap that. that was floating out there. It was just, you could tell yeah, how pissed he, he was. Yeah, he was he was pissed off. And it's just because, like, you know, we had we we, we had seen that. Like, we we know who these type of, who those type of kids were. Like, we were around them on campus and things like that. So, um, it's just, it's it's frustrating I guess I understand it strikes frustration um, with it just because we got to walk past these dudes on a daily basis, and we have to be the bigger men. We have to be the cordial guys when it would have been easy, super easy for us to just slap the taste out their mouth you know, <laughs> at any, you know what I'm saying, at, at any instant. Yeah, you knew they were shitheads. I mean, they just yeah, like, those people exist. And, yeah, and, it, and it's not necessarily all of, all of the frat guys because I was cool, you know, I was cool with a handful of them, but um, for a majority of them, it's just, at that age and you're just in college and you really don't, you're not even thinking about anybody else but yourself. And you're kind of just caught up in this mentality of, um, you know, just a super egotistic, just a little shithead. Like, and, yeah. um, you know, so I, I wouldn't say they, maybe they have changed from that situation um, from a few years ago, but maybe they haven't, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to, to, to nail that on their head, but I just know like in that instance, man, I wasn't really shocked or surprised. I was just more like, like I said, like you just y'all are that dumb for outing ourselves. And like now, you're gonna be brought to the light. So, um, you know, it was, just, it was a crazy, it was a crazy 24 hours, man. Yeah, and I, I, I almost, I, I do feel bad that everybody separated because I know a lot of constructive things, a lot of, a lot of things were said, a lot of things that you know emotionally were said, and and there was a lot of, you know, just people trying to understand what was going on, and and the team, you know, trying to figure things out on their own and i know you had people that were like dude we got to practice like you know and you had other people like no this is bigger than that but you know it was because you guys were all on campus you're getting ready to start spring football it's a little bit different than what you're going through now but just you know you talked about that 24 hours was that really kind of when you know was it had you kind of like had a full team meeting by that point, or was that like the the coming week when all that stuff started happening? I would say the first team meeting was on that. I want to say maybe that Monday, because that night, actually that night we had like a leadership meeting. Um, so like Ty, Trevor Knight, uh, myself, Strike, Tap, Shep, uh, Deron Neal, we all met at Strike's house because um, you know Strike Strike was on edge like. Strike, you know, Strike wanted to take it to this dude's front door. Yeah. And um, <laughs> me, I'm, 
I'm riding, so I'm like, shit, whatever you with, I'm with. So yeah. I was just kind of there. And But, you know, Ty and Trevor and uh, and even really Shep came there and kind of like calm, strike down, and myself. Um, so, like, that's, you know, that's exactly what they want you to do, this, that, and the third. So we just kind of started brainstorming on, like, how do we change this shit and how to, like, bring attention to people who may not think that it's going on. Um, you know, or maybe oblivious to the fact that it's going on. So, man, I, I want to say we were at Strikes House that night, probably to like four, four or five in the morning, like literally just talking and discussing things, like trying to get Ty and, and Trevor to understand, which which those guys did right off the bat. Like Ty, Ty and Trevor, that's one thing I commend them about. They were always open to like just listening and, and hearing us out and understanding where we're coming from. Um, so that night was just literally like brainstorming ideas and i think i want to say maybe the next day um is when we started organizing like all right we're gonna have a team meeting and you know we had a full full long team meeting um and straight up we then that night is when we made the decision like we're not practicing that monday night some shit gets, yeah that 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 first night that we had went to shark house right we're not practicing you know and ty and trev kind of fought it for a little bit but they were like then they finally understood like okay we're with y'all we understand so then we had the team meeting the next day um, with the whole team discussing, and, you know, it, it got you know some arguments and things like that going back and forth. But um, it came to a point in the meeting um, where they were like, "All right, like y'all are the, y'all are our leaders, so whatever y'all, you know, whatever whatever y'all decide is what we're gonna back as a team." And you know, and to hear that from some guys that you that I would have never guessed or guys that just really didn't say much, um, you know, some some white teammates that they just literally told us like, "Bro, whatever y'all want to do, yeah, we're gonna stand with y'all." You know, so it was good good to, like, come together as that. And then, you know, we went and met with the coaches um, that same day and told them, like, look, these are the demands. Like, it's kind of our layout of what we want, and we will not be practicing until, you know, some shit changes on this campus or until that until these things happen. And it just kind of steamrolled from there, man. Yeah. And, you know, Strike Strike took the took the lead on it, man, and, and it was just it was a huge movement. Like, it was, it was, a, it was a good thing. How much did, you know, I mean, there's so much that's gone on since then to now. I mean, especially the Colin Kaepernick situation and the kneeling. But, you know, you guys had the, you know, instead of practicing, you'd lock arms, go out, you know, on the field together, had media coverage there. Uh, People could see, you know, what you were doing. Uh, How much did that help I don't know, you guys come together. How meaningful was that just to be able to have a protest and have people recognize that? I mean, what is it about that that, that I don't know, that helps you heal is the right way, but to express yourselves? How does that, how does that help a team? Man, it like, really, like, it wasn't really even just, like, the, the media coverage of it. It was just, like, the meeting that we, that team meeting that we had in there. It was, it was probably, like, a good hour and a half, two-hour meeting. And like I said, like there were there were heated moments, heated arguments, you know, uh, you know, where some some white players really didn't understand why we didn't want to practice, you know, and some some other black players, you know, kind of taking offense to that, like what the hell do you mean? So um, to actually go through that and have those type of arguments and to come out of it mm-hmm. with everybody on on one accord was huge, and I think that did more for us going into that season than anything. Um, but you know, like like the media, the media coverage for I think for athletes is great, just because you know we go there, you know, as much as anybody wants to call us student athletes, you know, you go especially if you're a football player, you go there 
to play football and you go there to win championships. Like, yes, school is a huge, huge deal and it's very important, but, um, you know, Oklahoma is what it is because of the football program. Like, you know, it, it's period point by period you want to make it. So, like, to see athletes in a light other than just running and killing each other on a Saturday night, um, I think it brings a lot of light to just being human, man. Like, and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like, they think our job is just, just to play football and that we don't live in a regular reality like everybody else. You know, so I think the media coverage and, and people seeing that shows like, oh, even though they are, you know, um, as much as you want to call them celebrities, um, you know, in the college football world, they're regular human beings. Like, you know, they go through the same. We went through the same thing as um, just a regular black student or a regular black kid yeah. that lives in Oklahoma City or Norman. Like, we've yeah. experienced those things, so we know how that feels and how that makes us feel. So I think just. Um, having the media coverage and people seeing that, I think that's the biggest thing for me uh, personally is like showing people like, yes, we may be athletes, but at the end of the day, we are human beings and we have morals and we believe in things and we stand for things just like anybody else would. I, you know, I covering football, you know, 20 years, following kids when they're in high school. I, I don't do it as much anymore, but I did it long enough to kind of, you know, I think I said this, um, you know, the first column I wrote about this was uh, we all come from a bubble. Like, I came from small town, southwest Oklahoma. Uh, didn't have, I think I had two or three black guys in my class, graduating class. Mm-hmm. Uh, played football with them. Uh, you know, played basketball with them. They're, you know, played sports with them. I, I don't think I ever really got to know them or anything about their lives, what they were going through. And then you start covering, you know, young black kids and, you hear these stories and you see, you know, how, how much it means to get a college scholarship and kind of the things they, they go through in their lives and, and you're now in their bubble. And so you're not just, you, you're only as wise as your experiences, I guess. So, um, you know, it kind of takes that for people to have any empathy for somebody else that's different than them. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of setting that out to, to ask you, like when you see and social media, I think is uh, it's good in a lot of ways. It's also horrible in a lot of ways. And, and you're seeing some of that mm-hmm. now, but how damaging is it just personally, emotionally to see that stick to sports crowd that's out there that, you know, man, this guy just doesn't give a shit about me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's ignorant, man, but it's just it's just reality. Like, um, and it's just something that like I've I've dealt with since you know probably I got on campus. Are you just because how involved I am on Twitter and like just dealing with different fans and things like that? Um, you know, but it just it gives it gives the good fans and the ones that actually know you're a human being. It gives them a bad rap because of ignorant people like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And it's just and it's just tough. Like it just it makes it tough for for an athlete to really embrace his fans when he's kind of like half-stepping like why why should I be cordial to this person when you know I'm just I'm just a kid that runs around with football and, and hits other people every Saturday you know what I'm saying so mm-hmm. um, you know but I, 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 I try not to let you know those ignorant folk like inside like how I think about you know just the common fan or people that have treated me with respect and people that have backed me when I have stood up for things um, like that. So I've kind of just, I've learned to just deal with like 
the ignorant ones and, you know, I'll say slick shit back to them and, you know, kind of just play around because that's just what they are. They're just ignorant people, man, and you can't really um, give them too much of your energy. Like, I, I don't think, and I've, I've said this all the time, like when I'm responding back to people, you know, have interactions, especially like the ignorant ones, I'm never like, you, I'm never read looking at my phone sending out a tweet. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm, I can't never let them get me that mad about it. Like, like yeah, I, I'll have like a little frustration or be annoyed with them, but I'm never just uh, wish ill will and like just, you know what I'm saying? Like just really hate that person uh, for being ignorant. Um, the only ones that I really hate are just the blatantly racist ones. Like those are the only ones that can really like get my blood boiling. Uh, but you know, just like ignorant comments or just like stick to football and, and things like that, it's just it just kind of comes with the territory. Um, just because a, a lot of athletes, as much as they do speak out now, a lot of them still are afraid to speak out. You yeah. Know what I'm so it's kind of a new thing, especially with social media. It's a new thing for athletes to to have this voice and have these platforms the way that we do today. Um, you know, so it's just they're not used to seeing it, so now it's in their face and they don't like it. Um, you know, so it's just it's just man, it's just ignorant stuff. You just kinda you kinda know what what you're gonna get into when you make certain statements or when you stand off something. So I don't really I don't really give too much effort into it, but I just know those you know, those type of people still exist and that's why I still use my platform the way I do to you know, I just we want we need to weed out <laughs> all these types of people. So they they ain't doing nothing but outing themselves and, and showing us who they are. Let me ask you this, because, you know, I uh... I wrote some stuff. I gave out my phone number, which I thought was kind of stupid, but I did it anyway. Um, and just said, hey, you know, if you want to tell your story, let me hear you. Let me hear from you. Um, I got so many text messages that were just, I, it, some of them kind of broke my heart. Uh, but at the same time, they were uplift. I mean, one was a guy that uh his dad was white his mom was black and they married in southeast oklahoma like in the 40s and he grew up with racism his whole life he's a doctor now and he didn't want to go to undergrad at ou because this was like 87 or something and he said the the racial climate was pretty bad then and he did end up coming back uh to to go to medical school at ou to get his a uh, medical degree um and it's the stories like that but it's like I almost, and tell me if you think I'm off base here, but I almost got the feeling, I mean, I heard from people in Minnesota. I heard from people in Montana, um, you know, black people. And kind of the thing that I took from it is it was, it was hard for them to share that. And they had to read something I wrote that made them feel comfortable enough to share that with me. It's almost like you think a lot of black people kind of carry around guilt because they've been treated this way that makes them think like I'm partially at fault for this sometimes to share their stories like that. Definitely, man. I think, I think that's, that's definitely um, a heavy burden on, on a lot of, on a lot of people, um, or especially just the feeling that, you know, maybe they won't, people won't believe them, you know what I'm saying? Or people really just won't care about it. Um, and that's, and that's tough, man, because, and I think that's why I'm so eager to speak up because I, I, I know it's people out there that their stories aren't being heard or, like you said, they just maybe feel like there's guilt like they can't share it, um, you know, because maybe it might stop future jobs or future professions for them. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's definitely a, a big thing in the black community. It's, um, I mean, is it also, it's kind of, I, I assume that it would be a little bit, you would feel a little bit dehumanized because that's what they have been. You know, a lot of people 
throughout their lives. It, it's, it's, I would imagine it's a dehumanizing experience to go through racism on a regular basis, you know, for someone to judge you or to feel a certain way about you because of the color of your skin. Yeah, man. And it's, and it's, it, it gets to a point where, um, you know, people get numb to it. You yeah. Know, and they, they just, they, you know what I'm saying? They just don't feel it anymore. And, and I think that's like, that's like the worst part. And I even catch myself sometimes like just seeing different videos, um, like even the George Floyd thing, man, like the George Floyd video, it was just like I watched it. And the first time I watched it, like I, I literally, I, I couldn't, I didn't feel them. Like I was just watching, I was like, damn, it's, a, it's another video of one of us dying. Yeah. Then I went back and watched it again and it was just, my stomach was just turning. Like it, it hit me. So I, like, I can catch myself being numb to some things sometimes. I'm like, it, I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? I shouldn't be feeling like every other month it's something, it's a new video I'm going to watch. And it's like, oh, you know what I'm saying? It's just the same cycle. Like, so I understand why people can feel that burden and feel dehumanized by it because they're so used to seeing it and it's, and it's so common. And I think we're finally at that turning point where like that shit doesn't need to be common anymore. Like It's not yeah. something, you know, we should see every other month or, you know what I'm saying, three, four, five, six times a year on a national scale because it's just like the ones that we are seeing, how many are we not seeing? You know, so it's just, it, it, it can make you dive into this whole rabbit hole and it can drive you fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's tough, man. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as media, you're always hearing from the crazy fans that, you know, if they, they get mad at you for saying, you know, somebody played bad or, or this or that. I mean, players can be that way mm -hmm. too. Uh, so you yeah. do, like you were talking about, you do kind of have to build up a wall. You have to get some thick skin. But, you know, is, is if there is a message to, you know, young high school kids that are, you know, going to play in college, that are going to, you know, that visibility is going to ramp up, is there, I don't know, is there a part of you that that wants to send a message to them about how to handle this stuff? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just, like I, I even just telling the guys that are you now, it's like just don't be afraid to stand on what you believe in, especially if it's something right. Like standing on on racism, like shouldn't be a debate. You yeah. Know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And and that would just be my message. Like, yes, stand for what you believe in, but also don't give them a reason to discredit you mm -hmm. um, for anything you do. You know what I'm saying? So like that's like my thing for me is like when I was at OU, um, I knew like. I knew don't get in trouble with the law. Don't ever have your name come up with any sexual assault, anything like that. Like don't give anybody reason to discredit you for standing up for something that's right. You know, cause that, that'll be the first thing that they do. You know what I'm saying? That was just like my main thing. And it was, like I said, like it was times where I was in that frat house and I'm like, I, I'm like, I, I had to tell them like, bro, I gotta go. Like I'm, I'm about to get violent with some of these dudes. So I always, that's one thing. Like I, I prided myself on is like don't put yourself in a situation to, you know what I'm saying, then to throw throw your name in the dirt, um, you know, from any legal trouble that you've had or anything like that. So when I when I stand on things, I stand on them firmly because I don't have no skeletons. Like you know, there's there's nothing you can look up on me, um, you know, from a college standpoint and be like, well, he was doing this, that, and third, and he wants to fight for this, you know, so. And that would be my biggest thing. It's just like, just don't put yourself in a situation for them to discredit you because that's that's what they want to do. Like, they're going to do that so fast, faster than, you know, your your post of standing up for racism will get up, so will your record. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's tough. Like, 
because we don't really get the same second chances as, as maybe other people should, you know, or other people do get. So that would just be my biggest message. Don't be afraid to stand for what you believe in and also don't put yourself in a situation to get your name dragged through the dirt. That's also. awesome. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? Um, how many times, how often growing up did a, did a white person call you the N-word? Man. <laughs> uh, more times than I, I, I more times than, than should have happened, for sure. Um, how many times did they get away with it? None, <laughs> to be honest. But, but you know, it's just it, it's a, and it's a it's the first thing that comes out of their mouth when they're angry or they feel embarrassed. So, it's like like you don't have the balls to say it to me when you know what I'm saying when you're not in a position of embarrassment or you know just feeling brave like. It was it was always some slick shit, either walking away or, or driving off, and you know, and me going to school where I went to, mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's black or white, you know what I'm saying, and you know if you're black, most of the kids that went to our school, you grew up in Fort Worth, and the kids that are white grew up in Keller, like so it's 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 a different dynamic, right? And it's you know it's kind of crazy, but you know there was kids in, in high school that you know would would try to get away with some slick shit and and would get mad when you know they get punching them out for it but um yeah and then i'm you know and then in college and shit like that like hearing some fans and some opposing stadiums yeah use it, yeah it's like yeah man like west virginia was woof west virginia was a wild place man <laughs> west virginia was a wild place but i'm gonna tell you not surprised yeah, I mean, huh i'm gonna say not surprised yeah, right. A lot of overalls in that yeah, in mean, those stands. I would I was surprised when we were when we were driving up and I was getting flipped off by eight, nine, ten year old kids. <laughs> so I was like, Oh yeah, this this what type of vibe it weird. So <laughs> but I mean it's just it's it's just it's I don't know, I I guess it I guess it gives them some sense of power, you know, until, you know, they get hit in the mouth. But I I mean I've I probably I'm not the only person that's experienced, and I know somebody's been called it way more times than I have growing up. Um, just because, you know, a lot of people don't really got got the balls to say it in front of you or say it to your face like that. So, What would you like to see from this team this season and just really all of college football to, to continue um, having the, continue forcing this issue, I guess, on, on, like you said, the people that don't want to hear it? That need to hear it, man. I I I know I know Ty's involved um, in the leadership of like of the team now, and you know Chance and and Justin, um, yeah. and you know some guys are doing some some really good things, and Pat like they're doing really good things up there, man, and even getting things rolled out. Um, so they they have a plan of action, and I think I'm going to speak to them here soon. Um, I know I'm going to meet up with Chance before they get rolled into camp and stuff and awesome. having conversations with them. So I, I'm definitely going to pick their brain, uh, you know, and, and help any way that I can. But I think they got some good things in store. But I just, man, I just really just want to see, like, just address it. Like, don't be afraid. I, I feel like a lot of these institutions are afraid to address it. And it's like, no, don't be afraid. Like, we need to talk about it. Like, you need, you know, to weed out these type of people in your institutions and, you know, in your history, like you got to teach the history of what really happened. Like the, like the Tulsa, the Tulsa rights thing is so crazy to me that it's not taught. 
Yeah, yeah. Like that. like that that blows my mind. Like, how do you not teach that? So, I had to leave the state to go play baseball somewhere else to know about it. It's crazy. Even this no, was in the nineties. I mean that's 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 crazy to me. Like I and I think like think you can't hide you can't hide the, the racism anymore. Like you gotta expose it and you gotta understand like this is actually what happened in this country. So that's that's the biggest thing for me is I just want to see like more education on the real life black experience and what has actually happened to black people post slavery in this in this country. Like yes, I think slavery is taught and it's you know it's kind of just skimmed over, but that was just one step up. Now you get into things that you know the Tulsa riots that happened and the Jim Crow laws that happened and, and segregation things like that, and you actually break it down. And you educate people that, you know, like you said, like come from rural towns who really don't know um, anything but their bubble and what they grew up in. So you got to educate these people and, you know, and let them know, like, this shit happened. And, you know, every black person you run across isn't a criminal. He's not trying to rob you. He's not trying to harm you. He's just another regular human being like you. Like, bad people come in all shapes, sizes, colors. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? But I just think the biggest thing that from these institutions that I just want to see is just the education on the history and, and the black experience. Like, just make it evident. So there's there's no more hiding it. There's no more brushing it under the rug. But it, it's in your face, and you, it's something you need to talk about. Because it's, it's definitely, if we don't talk about it and we don't discuss it, it'll never get fixed. Like, seeing how Lincoln's handling this now, knowing that he was with you guys in 2015, mm-hmm. how, what have you thought about, about the way he's handled this? I'm not surprised, man. That's that's just he's he's such a players' coach, man, and he 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 actually listens and, and cares about his players. He's not just one of those coaches that blows the air up their ass, you know. He actually does because I I remember like when we went into to the coaches' meeting um, with them. This is you know Link Link's been there for two and a half two and a half not even three months yet. Yeah, and you know he he saw me strike. I think me strike and tap and chef. He was just like. Just know I got y'all's back, you know, whatever with whatever y'all tried to do. Um, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a coach, but you know, I'm here. I'm here for y'all. Like and I just I I just distinctly remember that and I, I think I had tweeted it like a couple weeks ago, just telling those guys like you got a coach that has your back, like do not be afraid to speak up, you know, and use your platform. Cause Link was riding, like he didn't shit, he didn't know me, he didn't know he didn't you know, I I think I had like a couple conversations before that, but it was for him to come out and tell me that was just it was huge. So it don't it don't surprise me at all, like the stance that he's taking and you know, the direction of the program. Like I just feel like they're getting ready to, you know, to catapult into something that's really special. It sounds like, you know, you have a lot of faith in Ty being there too, seeing that he went through all definitely. that. I definitely do. because um, he's just such he's he's such an understanding person, man. Like he just knows how to listen. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's that's the problem. And for a guy that's inte- as intelligent as he is you know, those people aren't really aren't so quick to listen and actually understand other people's point of view. Yeah. But he is he's he's just he's always been like that though, man. He's just he's just a caring dude, an understanding dude and, and understands that, you know, people come from different walks of life, um, and regardless of that they should be treated with the utmost respect and, and the same, you know, as anybody else. So I think they're in a really good hands having him there. Um, you know, just the coaching staff as a whole, man. I think I think they got the right the right people in line and you know obviously the players and what they're doing um and the steps they're taking man i think everything's rolling in the right direction uh is there anything else that you wanted to talk about i mean in terms of all you know the social injustice stuff that you want me to get out there or you felt was important 
Man, I just, like for me, just from a personal thing, I just want people to understand, like, I'm not a racist. I don't hate white people. I hate <laughs> racists. Like, that's the only thing I hate. I hate racists, and I hate people that try to hide behind a curtain that they're not racist. Like, I just, just stand on your racism. If you're racist, you're racist. So that's that's just the biggest thing with me, man. It's like, I, I trust me, I, I do not hate white people. Don't get it confused with me calling out racists and me calling out white people. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they go hand in hand because white people are racist and that's just what it is but it's not me hating white people like, so that's just like the biggest misconception I just want to get out there like I don't I don't hate white people I'm not a racist like I just I want shit to be normal like I want you to treat me with the same respect I would treat you with if I never met you a day in my life that's all that's it for me I appreciate it man to me one of the most fascinating things that I've ever covered is that quarterback battle in 2013 because it was so oh, yeah. It was so. Uh, it was so secretive, like, and I think we all thought that Blake was the heir apparent, and everybody was kind of counting down. Okay, Landry will be done, and then it'll be Blake Bell's team. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's so highly thought of. You know, coming out of high school, and everybody and their dog wanted him. And legitimately, it was the first time that Bob came in there and announced a starter, and I was shocked. Like, I'd never made, like, a prediction, like, oh, it's going to be this guy. Like, I just didn't know, and nobody really knew, and yeah. you'd heard all this stuff. I'm curious if, if you could, your memories of that preseason camp, you know, there's always this talk about, oh, they, you know, Trevor Knight looks like Johnny Manziel out there. Like, there's a, like he's, yeah. he's just amazing in practice, and he's clearly the guy. But what was it like watching those two compete and playing against those two? Um, it was great, man. I think like that that training camp for our class in particular was just like it was like our coming out party because like Trevor stepped up that camp. Uh, that camp, you know, that that was the year that I had earned my starting position. Strike emerged in that camp. Tap emerged in that camp. Shep took a next step in that, you know, in that camp. Ty, you know, came into you know his leadership role on the O line. So like. That camp was just like a big springboard for our class as a whole, and like Blake, Blake was a great. He was, you know, I love, I love, I love B. Bell, but like Trevor was just, he was on that camp. Like, you know, what I'm saying like the the Johnny Manziel comparisons were they were warranted because he was he was dicing shit up that camp, and I think Blake kind of really, I want to, I want to say probably like a week and a half, two weeks, Blake kind of realized that. And kind of started like, okay, like, how do I help Trevor become a better quarterback for the team? You know what I'm saying? And wow. he kind of he took on that role and played the, the role all season, you know, and it came up huge for us in Oklahoma State game. Like, yeah. But like Blake is Blake has always been that type of guy though. Like he he just always wanted what's what's best for the team. Like you know, even just going to his position change the, the year after, it's like bro, he just he just was one of those guys like. Whatever he needs to do to help the team win, he was going to do. And I think you got a taste of that with, you know, his bell dozer package um, and things like that. So, but it's just like a, a quarterback. I, I think he knew his type of play would wear his body down as the season went on, you know, just playing like that. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of started realizing that. And he was like, well, shit, let me help mold Trevor into be, you know, into being a guy. And then whenever I'm called on, I know the system. I know I can play, so it'll, it'll be, you know, it'll be easy for him to make that transition. 
but yeah, man, that 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 camp was just that year was a um, it was an interesting camp because it was kind of like the 2012 coming out party. So um, <laughs> it was it was definitely a fun ass camp for all of us, and you know that season was was a good a pretty good season. Um, I, I've always said this, you know, of all the games that have been played in the Bob Stoops era, that game at Notre Dame to me is one of the oh, yeah. best OU victories of all time. It, it had nothing to do with a championship or a college football playoff or anything like that, but just everything that happened in that game from the start with Frank and, and, uh, yeah. and, and, and um, I Corey, um, Corey. Yeah. I mean the interceptions yeah. and, uh, and yeah. I remember too, it was like, uh, I think I, I know Gabe Eichert was pissed because he told me about this because Nick's. I'd said something about Nick's had dominated him the year before when they won in Norman. Oh yeah, uh, and he just kicked his ass that whole game, uh, yep. and I mean, kicked somebody's ass like I'd never seen before. But like Blake getting you know dehydrated and leaving and coming back, and even when Trevor Knight came in, he had like a thirty-yard run. Uh, mm-hmm. But just winning that game, and I it was one of the best football games I've ever watched an Oklahoma team play. Yeah, no, that shit was that was a, a whole bunch of fun. Like that's that's probably one of my favorite games um that I played too. If if not the the favorite, definitely top two. Um shit, we were just man, we were just rolling like we were really, really wrong. Like if we don't slip up against Texas, ain't no telling like what happens <laughs> that year. Uh you know, cause, like we went into to that game, a little overconfident, kind of like how we always do against those cats when we're undefeated. <laughs> I don't know why the hell we do because it's the only game they get up for every damn year. Um, but you know, like I, I just think about it, like beating them and then going undefeated against that Baylor team down there in Waco. I think we're a whole. I think it's a whole different outcome, just with the momentum we would have built up. Yeah. But uh, but it, I mean that that season, like I, I cherish that season. That was, that was, I love that season. Just because of the guys, that, the older guys that we had, you know, having guys like Gabe Icon, you know, and then having Slick and, and Gabe Lynn. Yeah. And, you know, guys like that to kind of help us catapult, you know, like like I said, our class into being, you know, the leaders once they left. So um, it was a very important season, I think, for all of, for all of our careers. But, yeah, that Notre Dame game was, it's, despite the, the field being horrible, it was a great game. <laughs> well, yeah, and of course, you know, Alabama. I mean, that was uh, amazing oh, yeah. to end the season. So, yeah, I mean, but we, I, I, I tell people all the time, like, I just, we knew we were going to win that game. Like, it was never a doubt in any of our minds. Like, I remember, like, the, the night, the night that they told, or like, that I had seen on TV that we were, we got Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. I take Gabe Lynn, like, shit, you going out with a W because we're not losing, we're not losing to these dudes in your last game. And he was like, shit, you already know how I'm rocking. And we went out there and whooped their ass. Like, it was just from day one, just because of, of the, like, first of all, it's the hate that Coach Stoops had for the SEC. Yeah. And then just, just the hate that we just hearing, you know, you hear about the SEC, this, that, and the third. It's just like, bro, like, if if we played high school offenses every week, we'd be a dominant defense too. Like, so it was just, it was just one of those points where we were just annoyed with it. So, um, yeah, man, it was, that, that was just a great year. All in all, like it was a really good. Yeah, year. I mean, you, you know, it's not an Oklahoma year, but there was some really high. I mean, you know, Trevor got hurt against West Virginia, and you back and forth mm-hmm. the quarterbacks, and I mean, it was uh, definitely a lot better than the next year, which is one I think everybody <laughs> yeah, wants to forget. Always, what year? I don't know what year you're talking about. 2014 <laughs> Russell Athletic. 
I don't. I don't remember that. God damn. Out of my memory. <laughs> I I know Josh Heupel is never going to talk to me after that game because I I asked him if he thought oh. he coached his last game after it was over. He did not <laughs> like that question. Yeah. Was, crazy thing is, we all almost left after that game. Like strike was contemplated coming out, tap was, and if they would have left, I'd have been right behind. Them. <laughs> so <laughs> luck, luckily, we stuck it out, though, man. Luckily, we stuck it. It out. was worth. Yeah, twenty fifteen was worth it. Yeah. It hey, uh, one thing I didn't but, ask you. Um, by the way, can you can you tell me the real story about uh, Clemson and Charles Tapper and the bus? Man, so we're all right. So we're leaving. I want to say maybe a luncheon, and I, I know Tapper got into it with uh, with Shaq on Twitter, or right? Uh huh. And um, you know, and they were going back and forth. So we're 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 getting on the elevator. And you know they're they're walking, I guess, because there's only one. Elevator. So they're walking towards the elevator, and you know they're talking shit. So the, the door starts to close, and Tap opens it. Tap opens the door straight up, and was like, "So what's all that shit y'all were talking?" <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? So like, and we're all right there. So I'm like, "Oh shit, here we go." And Tap's like, "Yeah, so what's all that shit you I was talking this, that, and the third? And all of a sudden, like, there's no more shit talking, and you know their coaches, their coaches come or whatever, and like trying to. Like get those guys back and soon as their coaches come, the shit talking starts again. So we're like, man, whatever. Like we know what type of dudes y'all are, whatever. So we get down, we get on the bus, um, you know, and they're walking out right there. On, this is the from way. the Nobody luncheon. Ever, yeah, from the luncheon. Nobody ever got on the bus. Nobody ever. Yeah, Shaq never got on the bus and was threatening nobody because me and Tap both sat at the front and was waiting. You know, we was just we were literally was a tap. Like Tap was so high, he was just waiting <laughs> for what to do. <laughs> You know, to give him a reason, but all of a sudden there's two straight troopers by our, you know, by our bus door. So nobody's leaving the bus. Yeah. And then Bob comes on and gets on our ass about it. But yeah, the whole shit that he got on the bus and was false. Could it be more false? So the so the, the elevator action. was actually where all the action happened. The elevator, the elevator was shit. And tap tap like literally, tap's big ass stopped the elevator door and was like, so what's all that shit you was talking? And now was he like, in the people. elevator or the elevator was closing on them? No, that we were in the elevator. Okay. So the okay. door was closing, and Tap had heard them coming. You know, I think somebody had said some slick shit. So Tap grabs the elevator door, opens it right back up, <laughs> and steps out. I was like, so what's all that shit y'all was talking? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and then that coach has come, and, you know, they get all rowdy again. So it, that, that shit of them jumping on the bus had never, ever happened. And never would happen, especially when allowed, if me and Tap were on the bus. Like, it would have came to blows if that was the case. Like, we're not going for none of that shit. I promise you that. Nobody got on the damn bus. <laughs> I think everybody was just so heated they wanted that to be a huge story. Like it just became yeah. a fish tale. Like they were they were on side of the bus, you know, talking shit and doing that and there, but nobody got on the damn bus. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. We're That's not going right. for none of that. Well, man, I really it's appreciate because Yo, go ahead. Actually funny because no, because I, I know Shaq, like me and Shaq Lawson had like you know after the draft and stuff we and actually we all became cool like because we all trained in Arizona. Oh okay. So it was funny. It was funny because right after the game, like or like a week later, we're all together like working out, living the same apartment complex, going out together, and you know and they they squashed it and shit and it was like, bro, you know they try to say that you got on the bus and we're talking shit to us. And he laughed about it, and we laughed about it. I'm like, yeah, you know that shit never happened. <laughs> Maybe we just kind of went about our business like we were just cool again. But, you know, she gets blown out of proportion, hearsay. 
All right, so there is our conversation with Zach Sanchez. And uh, I, I tell you what, I can't thank him enough for opening up on the pod about the things he's been through in his life, dealing with racism and just sharing his thoughts with others about dealing with things like this on a daily basis. And for me, kind of what I took out of it is through all of the things that Zach's gone through, it's like what he said about the shut up and play crowd. Some bad fans don't keep him from focusing on the fact that there are good people out there who did root for him on Saturdays, and, but, and they still cared about him as a person. Because I do think that we get caught up focusing on the jerks and the ignorant, and I am just as guilty as anybody. I let myself do that way too much by paying attention to the crap I see on social media, and that's, that's a tough way to live life. And I think we can all do more to embrace and celebrate and just acknowledge that there are good people out there. Now it's time for Bob and Josh to break down the latest out on the recruiting trail. Josh McQuestion, of course, now known as Houston's own, but returns to his roots, his OK prep, uh, preps roots uh, throughout this week with a four-day tour. Uh, Josh, I think we'll go day by day here in a second, but I think we got to start with any notable OU targets. And if it's not commits, it's some of their top targets on the board for 2021 2022 let's start with today you make it out to begs of course you go to begs it's all about kendall daniels what did you see from him the 2021 safety slash linebacker recruit number one prospect within the state for 2021 and where does OU stand at this juncture with so many of these guys that i've seen this week you know i've seen big jumps in development whether it's you know they, they look a little quicker, they look a little bigger, you know, whatever it may be. With Kendall Daniels, it was really, you could tell he was more comfortable as a football player. Like he's making calls. He's doing things that show me he's learning within that Begs defense. I know people may not think that's a big deal, but this is a guy that hadn't played a lot of football. I mean, this is a guy still learning really the ropes of all of it. So I, I really, I like what he's doing. He seems like he's taking on a leadership role of, what looks like another really good Beggs team. I mean, a team that should be one of those four, five, six contending teams uh, for a state title at that level. So, I mean, they are they are set for another big run. And, you know, as far as Oklahoma, the thing I can say that was notable, because I didn't really get a chance to sit and talk with him after practice because I had to move on to Broken Arrow, but what I can say is he literally parked next to me in the lot got out of his car, and I know he was wearing his OU kind of lanyard thing His uh, oh that had his keys on it and everything like that, but I'm pretty sure he was also wearing an OU sweatshirt. So I, it, I don't know how much you want to read into things like that, but it's also not nothing. So, I mean, it, I, I still like where OU is. Um, I just get the impression talking to really people around the situation that he's just very low-key with all this. This is not a guy – that feels rushed to make a decision or is going to feel pressure, like he is just going to take his time and go through it at really his own pace. Well, Josh, I definitely want to get into the 2023 class because that group has been exploding here throughout this entire week. But we'll go one year earlier. We'll go to 2022 here with Gentry Williams out at Booker T, someone you've liked for a long, long time. And now as we get closer is this someone who can legitimately be the next in-state five-star kid? I think he absolutely can be. I mean, this is a guy that when you look at five-stars, you're talking about guys with unique traits. I mean, they, they, they are going to be a little different than the other guys. And Gentry Williams is a guy that it's not – I mean, he's, he's 
got a chance to be an Olympian with his speed. That's how special he is. This isn't just a, oh, he's fast like a lot of guys are fast. He is absurdly fast. And I keep going back to this play that I saw him make on Monday where he's running a vertical route, and the corner is actually in pretty good position. And rather than trying to fight through him to get to the ball that his quarterback's going to throw to him, Gentry basically takes a step to his right, accelerates, goes around the corner. Like, it looked like he was, like, turning a corner on the street. Like, he just went around the speed bump and then got to the ball and scored a touchdown. Like, I mean, as a cornerback facing a guy with that kind of talent and that kind of speed, I don't know how you deal with that. Like, what what do you do with that scenario? If the quarterback puts it where he, you know, where Gentry can catch it, how do you defend that? Because you can't run with him. And if you can't even get in his path to slow him down, that's that's just, you know, that's like Tyreek Hill stuff. That's just incredibly dangerous. And the thing that I also love about Gentry is this is a guy that really has a lot of work to do. I mean, and I know that can sound like a negative, but he has so much room to grow as a player. A guy that started for two years at a great program like Booker T, he, had, he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he can be once he gets into the weight room and starts developing and getting bigger and faster, there is just so much room for growth with, with him. And that's why I, I think he is the best chance the state has had since Gerald McCoy to have a five-star. We've been talking about these targets here, Josh, but this is the first time we got to see one of those commits. Got to see Jordan Mukes out at Choctaw. Someone a lot of people are curious about. Is this a reach by OU? How big of a project is he now that you've seen him in person and and got to really watch him work what are your overall thoughts you know what surprised me bob is how similar he is in a lot of ways to kendall daniels there's a lot of comparison there he is jordan is bigger in frame than i thought he was he is a big broad-shouldered really impressive kid but at the same time he is a better athlete than i thought he was i thought in his junior tape he would show flashes of good things, but he could look awkward. Being that big and long, like sometimes it's hard for their footwork to be very good, but you can tell it's something he's worked on and he's getting better at. His transitions are much better. And the thing I really liked is Choctaw's doing a lot of stuff with him where he's going to show as a corner, and then right before the snap he'll drop off and flip with the safety and he'll play with some safety responsibilities. So they're going to do some really interesting stuff with him that I think is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I think it also will fine-tune his game a lot. I, I came away very impressed with Jordan Mukes. I, I think he is going to be a guy that really, to me, it, it's about finding the right fit for him because he is big, he is fast, he is athletic. You can see it on tape that he is willing to be physical. It's about Alex Grinch finding out what the best role for him is and really tailoring it to his skill set. But this is a guy... He could play safety. He could play nickel. Uh, and I even think he's big enough that if those didn't work out, he could be a Robert Barnes scenario where you say, okay, we're going to put 20 more pounds on him and see if he can play some outside linebacker for us. Like, he is that big of a guy. And, I mean, like I said, from what the film I saw as a junior to what I saw physically as a, you know, going into that senior year, this is a guy that his body is rapidly developing. He's getting bigger, and I think you know. I think somebody told me yesterday they had measured him in at like two oh five. I mean, so that gives you an impression of how big this guy is. He'd already be one of OU's biggest defensive backs right now. You know, one of the most fun parts of, of these trips is you you go in. There's a name or two you know you want to see, 
And then there's two or three that just pop up out of nowhere and just kind of have fun. What have, what's it been like seeing some of this 2023 class? You know, I, I want to give a little shout out to our guy, Eddie, because Eddie has been like, man, I feel like this 2023 groove is special. And I am the same way, but I almost always feel that way this early on. and I get way too ahead of myself. And then I look back, and I'm like, man, I love that kid as a sophomore. And then I see him as a senior, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. But as I look around the state, I mean, the guys I saw this week, I mean, you go to Dell City with Jaden Foreman, who picked up an offer today. Uh, you, you've got Nigel Thomas there, uh, Jacoby Johnson at Mustang, Caden Jones at Mustang. Uh, you've got, you know, I went and saw Morgan Pearson from Ardmore Plainview that nobody is talking about yet, but that guy will be, I'd be shocked if he's not a 20 offer kid by the time his senior year rolls around. He is a big, impressive athlete. And you just go down the list there, you know, Jonathan Ashford, I saw Caden Stanton today at Beggs. Um, you, you just, the numbers keep getting, every time I'm kind of like, okay, these are the guys you get something else that throws into the mix. Booker T's got several 2023 20, guys, including Miles T's younger brother, Micah, that's a really good young player. Um, it's, it's got a chance to be maybe the best group I've seen since that 06 group that had McCoy and Gresham and that whole crew. And I've said that before. I mean, we're going to have to see how these guys develop, how they continue to go, because the class I thought that might be the case for was the Justice, Justice Hanson, Devin Thomas class. Well, obviously, Devin Thomas, after his sophomore year, was never that same guy again. So you've got to see how these things play out. But there are a lot of players that have not only started to pick up offers and a lot of attention, but they are guys that have a chance to be elite national type recruits. You know, the, in the, the in-state products have definitely fared well for OU here throughout recent years. But one position here lately where it just has, there's been nothing. It has been quarterback. You have to go back to Casey Thompson, 2018, and that you know you could argue how legit that was throughout the process. But could we perhaps see Lincoln Riley going to Choctaw for a 2023 quarterback here in the uh, future? I think it's possible, and he's a guy. Steel Waffle is a guy that I saw on tape probably two or three months ago, kind of by happenstance, and just really really liked what i saw and having a chance to go see him in person physically he is a dead ringer for justice hansen about six two and a half six three you know real physically developed probably 205 already 210 big physical guy can run is willing to take on hits now i mean obviously at the practice i was at it's no real contact but i mean you could tell he was a guy that he gets ahead of steam he's going to look for contact a lot like justice in that way. The other comparison I'm going to make is going to make OU fans cringe a little bit, but it's not because the player lacked talent. Watching Steele on Wednesday, I saw a guy throwing from all these different arm slots, and, you know, he kind of would wing it side-armed or over the top. You know, he could really mix it up, and it didn't seem to affect velocity or really his accuracy too much. And as a guy that is natural when the play breaks down, he reminds me a lot of Brett Bomar in that way. That same kind of chaotic, like just, you know, oh, there's a, there's a lane to throw the ball, you know, almost at my hip. I'm going to do it that way. And Rhett was that way. And I see some of that in Steel Waffle. So it's really interesting. Um, you know, it, it's, I've heard comparisons made before where some quarterbacks are almost like a symphony. You know, it, it's all moving and real. 
you know, real direct terms. They, you know what they're doing. They, they kind of are very deliberate about the way they do. And then, you know, a guy like that is almost more like a rock star. Like, he may go on a solo. You don't know what he's going to do or how he's going to accomplish it, but it's interesting to watch. And he was really impressive yesterday when things would break down. When, when things weren't the way they were supposed to be were some of the best throws he made all day. And if he can learn to just work within the offense when he when he doesn't have to ad lib, I think you could be talking about a guy that's a elite power five type quarterback. And going away from the tour just for a second and to kind of wrap things up here, Monday night, well, you had a bunch of commits and they were tweeting like crazy the letter O and you gotta think that that means something. You have a coordinated attack like like that. Something's going on. We're now a week away from Caleb Williams, July 4th. But perhaps there could be more than just Williams on July 4th? Yeah, I mean, everybody knows we're all on alert for Caleb Williams. You know, got to keep an eye on whatever he's going to do. Hopefully, we can still have some time with fireworks for our family. We don't know. But it sounds more and more like, and I, I posted something in a notes thread earlier this week, it sounds very much like something big is cooking along with Caleb Williams. I think, um, and what I've heard, you know, I've, I'm not even going to try to hide it. I've talked to the player in question, um, kind of reached out to me and let me know that something was going to happen. So I, I fully expect OU to be landing two very high-caliber uh, recruits uh, on the 4th of July. So this is going to be maybe the moment, like we've talked about it, and we thought, you know, okay, if Caleb Williams gets on board, then maybe things can start happening. I think that's what you're about to see. I think July could be a very, very good month for Oklahoma because, like I said, it's it's easy for people to kind of have these rumors and beliefs, you know, Caleb Williams recruiting this guy and that guy. Well, if Caleb Williams gets on board, then you get to have the direct conversation. And players don't have to wonder, like, well, if if he is selling me on Oklahoma, why isn't he on board with Oklahoma? Why isn't he already committed? That conversation ends. And – he gets to really sell, and I think that's what you're going to see really happen unless he was to pull a massive surprise on the 4th of July, which I just do not see happening. So, yeah, I, I think things are trending in a very good way. Um, we'll kind of have to see how it plays out. I certainly don't want to ruin anybody's moment, but I do think um, OU fans are going to have a little bit extra to celebrate on the 4th of July. And then we'll, we'll get you out of here with, with this question. We'll have to ask it again next week. Over under, we're on July fourth. Over under, two and a half commits on that day itself. I'm probably leaning to the under right now, I, and it's only because this close to it, I feel like I would have heard more names. I would have heard more if something was truly imminent. Now, maybe a guy, you know, he kind of hears something's happening, and he says, "Okay, I, I want to get on this too. I want to be part of this big day. We're going to make it a, you know." historic day for our class or however they want to look at it. So I just kind of have the mind that if something was coming together, it would be about now that guys would start making those plans and you would start to hear those rumors. And maybe we still will. But right now I am only aware of two guys looking very likely for Oklahoma. So we'll see where that goes. Um, Now I do want to mention something because I, I didn't mention this to you that we should talk about this, but there there's been a lot of chatter about Isaiah Coe for a while. I finally have had some conversations with people. It sounds like at this point, Isaiah Coe is a part of Oklahoma's class. Now, 
I still get the impression that that has room for movement down the line. But I think for now, he is going to be part of the class. They'll see what happens with Marcus Burris. They'll see what happens with Kelvin Gilliam. And they'll kind of go forward and making decisions they need to make you know, going forward. But I, I think ultimately Oklahoma did something that makes a lot of sense and just said, are we ever really going to have too many good defensive linemen? Is that really a sentence we can say? And I think they're going to let things play out. And if they get into a situation where they have to make some hard choices, well, then they'll make some hard choices. But I just don't think that is something they are bound to right now and they are going to say no way to a player that they clearly like a lot. And since you brought up, Co, you feel this – is this a reflection of anything with Burris and Gilliam – or the one thing not go with the other yet? I think it is just, I mean, because we've seen these situations in years past, Bob, and we've, talk, we've talked about them on the pod, we've talked about them on the board, where OU would pass on a guy they could have taken and said, oh, no, we've got this guy, and, you know, we're, we're, we're waiting on him, and they end up with neither. And I think Oklahoma is saying, we're not going to be left holding the bag again. If we're, We want to be the one that's in control of the choices come you know november december we don't want to have to try to sell a kid when maybe he doesn't want to be here and then we have to come back to the guy we turned down and try to explain why that's okay and not a problem i like i and i've said it for a while i understood this side of the argument at the same time i i think it's clear i mean we still you know i think this week what kind of sparked it for me to recheck on things is you had calvin thibodeau retweet his commitment announcement finally after what like two two and a half weeks now so i that you know i I think that was indication that maybe the idea had changed but at the same time lincoln riley still hasn't done it to my knowledge so that's unusual now it's so far in the past maybe it's just something they've moved beyond and they're not going to make a big thing of it whatever there's a million and one explanations to why that could be a completely reasonable outcome but at the same time I, I think it's clear there was some trepidation on how this was going to get handled. So we'll see what, like I said, we'll see what they do going forward. And I think if Marcus Burris and Kelvin Gilliam are to want to get on board, and I think OU is the clear leader for Burris, and I think they're right there with Penn State for Kelvin Gilliam. And if they were to get both those guys, then maybe this still gets shaken up a little bit. But for now, Isaiah Coe is a guy that, you know, we need to put on our commitment list. We're going to have to go forward with that. And then, kind of just continue to monitor the situation. All right, that's going to do it for this week's special edition of the Unofficial 40 Podcast. Let us know what you thought. Maybe we can mix in some more of these interview-centric podcast episodes in the future, and maybe I've got some other ideas as well. You never know. Uh, As always, we appreciate you listening. We look forward to a 2020 football season, and next week we'll be talking to you as players are reporting to campus for voluntary workouts. Until then, thanks for listening to another edition of the Unofficial 40 Podcast from Soonerscoop.com.